chrysalis. We're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business and all economy, haunted by Satan, enterprising business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And Ed, happy anniversary, number 200. <laughs> yes, number 200, and actually, I guess it's we're, we're kind of like anniversary plus two weeks, relatively. I think right. our first show was was July 1st, wasn't it? Or, Ju- or July 4th. No, it was July 4th. Yeah, July 4th. That's right. Uh, four years ago. Can you believe it? Four years ago. I know. I know. <laughs> and the, the money keeps rolling in, Ron. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I know, you, I, I know you just think it's a number, right? It's just 200, but it's pretty cool milestone, I have to say. I'm pretty, uh, pretty happy about that. Yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a body of work, and I it's one been one of the most fulfilling things in in my life the last four years, and I know you feel the same way. So really, a privilege to continue to do this. So clearly, our thanks to our listeners out there who continue to support the show and our sponsors and the folks at Voice America, just just terrific, and and uh, we look forward to another four years. Absolutely. And all the guests that we've had on that have made the show incredibly special. And just to clear up something from uh, last week, Ed, we said that this week we were going to have on George Gilder to talk about his new book that came uh, that is coming out this Tuesday on the 17th called Life After Google, The Fall of Big Data and the Rise of the Blockchain Economy. He was kind enough to send you and I an advanced copy of that book. Which, of course, being a Gilder book, I devoured it. <laughs> uh, and I have to say it's amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. And uh, George right now is at the Freedom Festival in Las Vegas. In fact, I think he's on stage right now giving a speech. And that's why he couldn't appear. So uh, we're going to have George on August 31st, Ed, to talk about his book. Really looking forward to it. I, I've read the first three chapters. I didn't devour it like you did, Ron, but it is, it, it's is—it's some pretty am- amazing stuff. And as always, very, extraordinarily thought-provoking. So similar to our guest today. Absolutely. I'm really excited. Uh, first off, we have uh, a, a returning guest. So this is kind of exciting. Dr. Reginald Lee, he's an advisor and researcher in the area of cash flow, capacity management, and profitability. I'm not going to repeat his background. I'll just tell you a couple of things that have changed. He was on our show, Ed, October 7th, 2016. So it's episode number 112. And folks, I am going to recommend that you check that out before you listen to today's episode, if you're listening to this on demand, uh, because I'm going to we're going to talk with Reginald about, about a little bit something different than we did the last time he appeared with us. But what's new, uh, Reginald, is... You're a Verisage senior fellow now, so right now we have three Verisage fellows on the line, which is kind of cool, but you also took a position at Xavier uh, University, so I want to ask you about that, and Reginald, welcome back to the Soul of Enterprise. 
Well, thanks for having me. I'm humbled to be on the 200th show. That's really cool. Congratulations to the both of you. Thank you very much. So tell us, what, um, what are you doing? What are you teaching at Xavier these days? So it's going to be quite interesting. I, um, I, I'm in the management department, so I'll be starting off there. But interestingly, when I met the department chair in accounting, uh, he, uh, he said he wanted me to, uh, to teach one of their managerial courses, which is really kind of interesting because it's, it's, it's really good that after, say, a decade and a half of being the anti-accountant, there is some support for the work that we're doing. So that's, uh, that's really cool to see. Yeah, that is. that is. So are you teaching like literally managerial accounting? So I'll be teaching more managerial and supply chain related courses. That's my background in terms of my work experience. So um, I've worked at EY, worked at a company called Sapien, worked at GM and IBM. And most of my work experience and consulting work has been in the supply chain space. So I'll be teaching mostly um, operations, management, supply chain related courses. However, uh, you know, with, with my background, obviously, there's going to be uh, some, a, a heavy focus on cost management, cash flow, and some of the challenges from a managerial perspective of using accounting to drive behavior versus focusing on the work itself. Right, right. Well, when you were on last time, Reginald, we talked about your, your book, Lies, Damn Lies, and Cost Accounting, which I still think is one of the greatest titles of all. And <laughs> Thank you. In, in that book, you lay out three reasons why cost accounting is a bad practice. And I tell you, the more I teach this and talk about this and observe, the more I find these three things absolutely profound. You say it's a bad practice because it creates and force, forces math and relationships that don't exist. You call it bad math. You lose touch with operations, which I can't tell you how profound that is. When you make decisions just solely based on accounting data, how, how just removed you are from the actual organization of the work itself. And the third charge you make against it is it creates meaningless numbers that people consider gospel. And boy, is that true. I mean, uh, especially non-accountants type. They look at cost accounting as absolute gospel. And... I just, you know, those three things are, are really good. When, when you go out into business, I know you're teaching this more and now you're getting in front of accounting audiences and you lay, you level these three charges against cost accounting. What's the reaction? It's really bimodal. You have some that shake their heads and say, yes, I agree. Uh, you have some that are vehemently against some of the uh, ideas I, I propose. When you, when you grow up in that environment, that's all you know, and you haven't seen anything outside of it, then that becomes your world, right? And so for someone to come in, especially from the outside, uh, being an engineer, my background's engineering academically, being an engineer, people will always want to say, well, you don't know what you're talking about because this is accounting stuff. And I come back and say, well, it's not accounting stuff. This is business stuff. And if you're looking at it from a business perspective, then what it is that you're talking about really doesn't make an awful lot of sense. That's a funny charge since it was engineers, it was your profession that developed cost accounting in the first place. It, had, it wasn't right, developed right. by accountants. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, you guys brought us into it. And I think it's great that you're leading us out of it, you know. Um, and, and the other thing that we completely ignored is when engineers did develop cost accounting, they put a ton of caveats around it. 
and they issued warnings about how inexact it was, and nobody paid any attention. It just became gospel. And, and I find that to be, it is crazy. And I do blame accountants for that. I don't blame accounting for that, but I blame accountants for that and for perpetuating this idea that cost accounting is some type of exact science. Sure. And I think that not only accountants, but, um, and, and I hope my colleagues in academia don't, uh, don't write me off, but I think academia has played a, a significant part in that as well. And so when you start thinking about, uh, you know, how we're teaching accounting, what it is that we're teaching folks and what's being left out, then the accountants who are out there practicing really don't know any different in many cases, right? And so what's happening is the, you know, the, the accountant, accounting professors are saying primarily this is gospel, this is how it works, this represents cash. And when I was talking to um, my good friend Joe Castellano, who is one of the reviewers of Strategic Cost Transformation, he regularly pointed to the things in the book that he said, we don't teach this in accounting. We need to teach this. We've been, you know, we've, we've been avoiding this, and we've not been talking about it. We need to get this out on the table. And you know, as long as, as accounting continues to push the notion that the center of the, the, the dollar world in business is accounting, then the more we're going to not understand the true operations of the business and therefore be able to make better uh, decisions as a result. I couldn't agree more. I mean, <clears throat> the other thing that's really neat is you've got a new book coming out, uh, probably November, maybe December this year sometime. And uh, I was honored when you asked me to write the foreword. So I've read the book. I absolutely just love it. It's called Strategic Cost Transformation, Using Business Domain Management to Improve Cost Data and Analysis and Management. And Reginald, you start that book with the following line. We've been fooled, bamboozled. <laughs> How? How so? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that it, it kind of goes back to the last thing we talked about, where we're told that accounting data is gospel. So when someone says the cost of this part is $1.86, then everything that we do associated with that part ties to that $1.86. For instance, if we, if we think about the book that you and I both love, Profit Beyond Measure, when we, we focus on that $1.86 and then we start from a managing, uh, manufacturing perspective producing more and faster to drive that unit cost down, and we think, wow, we're actually doing something positive as a result of that. And when we start thinking about pricing, and you, you, know, you and Ed and I have had a number of conversations about this where you think, okay, well, if I want to make money, then I've got to sell this at a price that's greater than $1.86. So that $1.86 becomes a center of our world. And what we haven't been taught and what Joe was talking about were things like, well, that $1.86 is a function of how I choose to cost my products, right? How do I consider right. my overhead? If I change how I consider overhead, that $1.86 can go to $1.50 or to $2.10. When I take a look at how the allocation approach that I use it could go down to $0.79 cents or it can go up to $5. So when you start thinking about all these other factors, we've been fooled into thinking that that $1.86 is the center of the world when, in fact, it's just an arbitrary number that was pulled out based on some decisions and, a, and some, some fake math that people have chosen to, to calculate the cost. Right. You know, one of the funniest lines in your book is you, you say, then somebody will ask, well, how much should we spend on that? Or what was the cost of that to produce per unit? Yeah. Or, and, and all hell breaks loose. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that is so true because it, it and, and I'll talk to you more about this. Um, 
because you you lay out four common cost related sacred cows in the book, uh, and and uh-huh. uh, when, when I when I get you back on the third segment, we'll talk more about that. But what what I found so profound in your first book and and this one as well, because you go into more detail, is your distinction between a metric and a measurement. And, you know, a measurement is is not determined by a choice. And yet all cost accounting is determined by a choice. And therefore, it's not a true measurement. Which is interesting because you have so many people who run around talking about, hey, I measure costs. No, you don't. Exactly. No, you don't. (laughs) You don't. You figure them out, but you don't measure them. And, And, you know, if you didn't have an engineering background or a mathematical background like you do, that would be lost on you because it's not taught in cost accounting and it's not even on your radar screen to think about it. And and that's what I found so refreshing about your book. It was just, you're looking at this from kind of an outsider's perspective and you're going, this mathematically just doesn't make any sense. And it's so true. Unfortunately, Reginald, we're up against the first break. I knew this would fly by, but uh, folks, I'd like to remind <laughs> you, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can send us an email to Ask TSOE at verisage.com. We will post full show notes with our discussion with Reginald today at the soul of enterprise.com, along with a link where you can get the prior show that we did with him back in October of 2016. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Lies, Damn Lies, and Cost Accounting is the book that Reginald Lee published a couple number of years ago. The upcoming book is called Strategic Cost Accounting which I was fortunate enough to get a preview copy of for the the purpose of this interview. And I want to talk a little bit with you, Reginald, about one of the the influences on my career, which 
uh, it has also influenced yours, and that is Dr. Uh, Ellie Goldratt in his book, The Goal. Now, it's had an uh-huh. influence on my career from a project management perspective, and a lot of the things that I implemented in my organization with regard to project management, but uh, he, it really was an influence on your career as well, but we went in really two different directions on this because he's influenced your thinking from from this business operations and, and cost perspective, right? Absolutely, yes. You know, it was really quite interesting because at the time, I think I was, um, I think I was in a master's program, and I had gone through a manufacturing leadership program at Harvard, and I had um, uh, Dr. Kaplan, uh, father of ABC, as uh, one of the teachers, and I thought that was kind of interesting stuff. And I thought, wow, you know, this ABC stuff's pretty cool. And then I ran across Goldrack, and he just really laid into ABC, and I thought, wow. I never really thought of business that way. And so Goldratt did a few things for me. Number one, I think what he did was he basically said it's okay to be an outsider to look at these things like cost accounting and challenge them. You know, his background is physics, doctorate in physics. And if you look at the basis of his work in theory of constraints, it really has a strong operations research flavor to it. It's a lot of linear optimization ideas that come out in his work. And so here's an outsider who's looking at accounting and saying, these are all the things that are wrong with it. And I think that it opened up the door for me to, you know, when I, when I started my PhD work, where all this stuff came from was, you know, I was, I was, I'm an engineer and I wanted to be able to explain my research work to business folks. And so to be able to do that, I had to study finance and accounting concepts. And when I started looking into it, I thought, this stuff makes no sense. The math doesn't work. I understand what they're trying to do and why they're trying to do it but the math and the application just doesn't make an awful lot of sense. And so one of the first people I looked to was Goldratt. And so in that time, subsequently, I'd become a uh, Jonah, uh, who it's uh, certified in use, one of the people uh, certified by the uh, Goldratt Institute uh, in the use of theory of constraints. As I studied theory of constraints, I thought this is a really strong foundation to start looking at um, some of these things that Goldratt had brought up that I didn't, you know, I didn't agree with everything that he came up with, but there are certainly a number of things that gave me enough to say this accounting stuff doesn't necessarily make sense. What, where do I need to start to, to uh, come up with a, a framework that does? Another thing that the theory of constraints really does, and I think that this is where it's really um, under, under-considered or underestimated, and that is the theory of constraints is all about how constraints, not only in business, but in the world, affect things that we're trying to get done. And so he, he created a really cool framework that allowed me and others to understand, I've got all these different things that are going on, and it's quite possible that they're somehow related. And if I can understand how they're related... And if I fix that particular issue or that thing that's constraining them from being what they can be, then everything else can improve. And so when you start thinking about designing a framework, a, a, a cash flow framework, to be able to understand what are the things that constrain us in terms of understanding cash, in terms of misunderstanding costs, in terms of pricing, if you can get to that foundation and address that foundation, that constraint, then the whole world opens up in terms of what you're able to model and create and and, re, and conclude as a result. Well, one of the things that strikes me, and and, and here's where, where our paths diverged, and then I think they're perhaps even coming together. Um, ironically mm-hmm. enough, not 
because of uh, actually something that George Gilder, who we're going to have on, uh, said when we, we had him on. But mm-hmm. I, I, the, the thing I took out of the goal was that time was a constraint, not a resource. Right. And and in project management, I think that's such an important thing because, you know, the, the goal obviously is a, is about getting something done. And what the customer wants and I was managing outside projects was they, they wanted an implemented system. That's what they wanted. Right. They didn't uh-huh. want hours uh-huh. from me, which is what I was selling them. And so I said, time is a constraint. It's not a resource. And I think what I took from your work and it, it, correct me if I'm wrong on this, is that you, in a sense you're saying the money, the accounting money. That's not a resource either. It's a constraint, right? And I think that that's a fascinating thing because, but, but, you know, accountants would tell you, well, our, m- no, money's a resource. Money's a resource. But it's not really. It's also a constraint in, in this notion of the goal of making making money because it can't be itself, right? It can't be itself. Correct. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the notion of, you know, you bring up something that's really interesting, the notion of, of money being a constraint, because I guess I never really thought of it that way. But, and, you know, fundamentally it really is in terms of our ability to understand things, in terms of our ability to make investments. Um, so, you know, I, I, I can see where you're going there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you can't create money inside the, you, inside the firm. You've got to do it by doing something for somebody outside the organization, because they're the ones who are going to give you the money, Right. And, uh, you know, it, it could, because money becomes the, uh, the measuring sh- stick and that's not fungible and changeable, you know, so it, pretty cool stuff. I, and I think uh, just to, to let you know, one of the things that, uh, that George Gilder has taught us is that, that, uh, time is not money, but money is potentially time, which is a really interesting thing. So that's perhaps the two things coming back together. I want to, um, just get, get, move on a little bit and talk about what is this thing in the, in your new book, strategic cost transformation. Give me an overview of what does that mean? What is strategic? strategic cost transformation mean? Sure. So the idea behind strategic cost transformation is the way we look at business right now and decision-making is accounting-centric, accounting-data-centric. So uh, again, going back to Profit Beyond Measure, and if you haven't read that book, fantastic book by Dr. Tom Johnson, um, one of the things that he talks about is this notion that we tend to want to drive business behavior and manage organizations using financial data. I need to improve my profitability. I need to improve my margins. I need to reduce these costs. That's all accounting-driven data that we then push back up into the organization and use that to drive managerial behavior. And the argument is that the data that we use, and Ron alluded to this in the first session, is, is arbitrary. It's an opinion in many cases. For instance, when it comes to determining the cost of a product, then when we start thinking about, you know, let's say that, that you know, one of the examples I often use is the cost of a phone call. And I say, you know, if, it, if a, a long distance, uh, if we charge 10 cents a minute for a long distance phone, uh, phone service, then a long distance call that's 10 minutes will cost us a dollar. But if we look at the cost of a 10, cent, a 10 minute local call, then how do I calculate that? If I pay $25 for local service, there's so many assumptions that have to go into trying to figure out what that co- the cost of that call is. And so the idea is, if I've got to go through all these gyrations and assumptions and what I'll call arbitrary math, and we can touch on that later if you like, to get this number, the number can't be worth an awful lot. So where, the, where do the numbers come from? Well, it comes from what I call 
what the operations and cash flow domain. And the operations and cash flow domain is where business happens and where cash transactions happen. I buy things like capacity. I consume it. I create output and I sell it. That's the operations and cash flow domain. And these things exist and we manage them and we execute them on a daily basis without a single cost being calculated. And so the notion here is if that exists without a single cost being calculated, but that's what's creating the cost, then really what we've got here in a business is two business domains. We've got the accounting domain, which has accounting information, and we've got the operations and cash domain, which is the, the, uh, the operations of the company and the cash transactions. So the transformation is let's transform from focusing on just accounting-based data, move upstream, and focus on what creates the accounting-based data. And that's the business, business transactions, business activities, operations, processes, those things that we need to manage. And if we manage those things effectively, and if we have effective systems, the numbers will come out on the back end as we, as we seek, and even better. So strategic cost transformation is about transforming the organization from being accounting-centric to being full business-centric by including the operations and cash flow domain as context for the numbers that are being generated on the back end. And how would that differ just from being like a, just running your books on a cash basis? How, how, would, how would the operations and, and cash domain differ from that? Sure. So what the cash basis doesn't tell you, let's say you're looking at statements of cash flow, right? What yep. I don't know from looking at that are how many people do we have? What are they doing? What are they creating? Why do we have them? What do we pay them? There's context for the cash data that you don't have once you're in. So I look at the, the uh, three major accounting uh, reports, so your, your income statement, balance sheet, and cash, uh, cash flow statement as being all in the, the accounting domain. And what you don't have when you look at a cash flow statement is a context for the numbers. However, when you look at that from the operations and cash flow domain, when I hire a person and when I pay them, that money leaves the organization so I can see what left, when it left, and how much left. So I have clear understanding of what that cash number is. Not only that, I can look at what that person did, you know, what projects did they work on, what reports did they, did they create, what meetings did they sit in, what people did they hire, and now I've got context for that number. The $10,000 I paid that person in their salary allowed them to do these kinds of things in the organization. And so the suggestion here is if I want to manage my costs, I need to manage those things that create the cost. And that's what happens in the operations and cash flow domain. So the cash flow, the cash flow component is tied to the basically paying for what it is that I bought. So I buy space, I buy people, I buy materials, I buy services from the outside, and there are cash transactions associated with that. And if I'm tied to that versus the accounting interpretation of that, then I'm dealing with the real data, the raw data versus the process data on the back end. And as we all know from diet, you know, from diets, the raw you get, the healthier it generally is for you. And I believe the same is the case for organizations. Interesting stuff. Love this. And uh, we're up against our next break already. Can't believe it. We uh, want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or myself by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is thesoulofenterprise.com, and we love to hear from you. So please keep those uh, emails coming. We do try to answer them on most shows, if not on Free Rider Friday. But uh, right now, we're up against a break and a word from our sponsor, Abacus Next.
The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Results CRM, the award-winning Abacus Next product, is a customer relationship management solution that will automate your business processes, streamline workflows, and deliver consistent results. Cloud-enabled to provide access to your users anytime from anywhere. Grow your business in 2018 with the number one QuickBooks CRM. To learn more about Results CRM, visit ResultsCRM.com. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with uh, Dr. Reginald Lee, and he is also a senior fellow at the Verisage Institute. And Reginald, in your, your new book, Strategic Cost Transformation, you lay out four common cost-related sacred cows. And I just kind of want you to uh-huh. give an overview, because I love these. You say, one, cost equals money. <laughs> Reducing costs <laughs> saves money. More profit equals more money. Costs and profit are measured that sounds reasonable to me. Why are they wrong? <laughs> so it's primarily <laughs> the math and the assumptions that go into them. Um, so a couple examples of these, right? So cost, money, cost equals money. Uh, you know, I kind of started with this notion of a local phone call cost. And we could calculate a cost for a local phone call. If we, you know, if we pay $25 for local service and we want to determine the cost of a 10-minute call, we can figure that out, right? So let's say sure. it's $0.05. Cents. So does that mean when you make a call, you're spending five cents? Well, no. Well, if it doesn't mean that, then what does that five cents represent? It doesn't necessarily represent money. And so when you look around at things, and activity-based costing is notorious for this. Oh, well, it costs us $110 to process an invoice. Well, when you process the invoice, who are you giving the money to? Right. Well, it's in the salaries. Well, but you're paying those separately. So really, either you're double counting or it doesn't necessarily represent money. So you know, which one is it? And ultimately, um, in the book, I, I lay out two types of costs. There's non-cash costs, cost in fee, that to me represent the value or the worth of doing something. So someone's time is worth $10 an hour, so therefore a two-hour step will, a two-hour activity will cost non-cash $20. So it's not money that we're talking about. 
Uh, if I spend $20 for someone to come into my house and do something at $10 an hour, that is a cash cost. So not all costs are cash. Um, reducing costs saves money is a really good one because when you start taking a look at that value and you say, okay, so let's say we've got that two-hour activity that costs us $20 non-cash, and I can reduce that from, t- from two hours to one. So if I've saved $10, where is that $10 coming from? Well, right. it's not really coming from anywhere because it's not a real cash number, right? I still pay the person to be there regardless of whether it takes them an hour or two hours to do that task. So ultimately, when I reduce costs, it, a lot of times if you think about it, and if you go to um, some of the, the, the ideas that Ed and I were talking about with the different domains, many times when you're talking about costs, you're trying to figure out a value or a worth of the consumption of capacity. So when I consume X number of square feet, I put a a number on it. When I consume X number of hours, I put a number on it. So it represents that. So if I'm reducing that by becoming, let's say, more efficient, that doesn't mean that the money that's leaving the organization is changing. It just means that the value of of the time of the resources being consumed is reduced because I'm consuming less of it. And so that suggests that even though I reduce costs, it doesn't mean I'm reducing money or saving money, and that could mean bad things if you're trying to implement lean or do these huge Six Sigma or IT projects that are claiming to save all kinds of money through efficiencies. Because ultimately what's going to happen is if you still have the infrastructure that you're paying for, that money's still leaving. You just now have more, more of it to use than you had before. And so that's the, the, the reducing cost saves money argument. Um, the more profit equals more money is, is quite interesting and I've shared this with a number of industries. And so let's say that I get, uh, you know, revenue and from, from work that I produce, and the cost is tied to that consumption of resources, right? It's a non-cash cost. So I can become more efficient with that non-cash cost. And we see it all the time with lean, right, in terms of the cost of a widget. If I implement lean, I can reduce the cost of this widget. And so, therefore, I can make more money off of it. Well, really have you because – if all the resources are still the same, so let's say labor is still the same, but now I can get more parts out in an hour, the revenue from what it is I sell is still the same, then from a cash perspective, there's really no difference. But one of the things you and I have talked about before is where this becomes even more dangerous in some cases is companies become so focused on these margins that they say, well, I need to reduce my cost of the widget. So by doing so, my cash out stays the same in terms of, let's say, labor, my cash income stays the same in terms of revenue, but now what I've done by reducing my cash, I mean my, my accounting costs or my non-cash costs is I've increased my tax basis. So while the cash in and cash out from a transactional perspective remains the same, I've now put myself in a position where I've got to pay more taxes because I'm reporting a higher gross margin, right? So not only does more profit not equal more money, I could actually lose money by projecting more profit. And then the last is that costs and profits are measured. And you talked uh, in the last uh, session about um, metrics and measures. And to me, measures are specific. I measure temperature. I measure length. It's something that I can use a device and within a certain level of precision, get the same answer, right? And counting is another form of measuring. And that's all very precise. So when I want to determine the the cost of a long-distance call, that's precise. That's something that I can measure. Now, when it comes to, to the cost of the, the local call, well, that's something I've got to figure out. 
I've got to make assumptions. I've got to use math. I've got to create relationships to get that number. And so what ends up happening is that's something that's not measurable. You don't measure temperature. You know, if, somebody, if someone says to you, hey, Ron, um, what, what's the temperature outside? You won't say, well, it's either 77, 50, or 12, <laughs> right? You'll say, you know, 60 degrees, and that, that's fairly precise. It may be 61 on one thermometer, 59 on another, but you're fairly precise, right? But when it comes to some of these accounting numbers, they can be all over the place based on the assumptions that you use. What goes into overhead? How are we going to allocate these things? And even the allocation process itself is highly questionable because I'm creating a relationship between two mathematically independent things. So this whole process throws out numbers that can be anywhere. So this whole notion that I'm measuring my costs, no, you're not measuring them. You're figuring them out. And you're figuring them out with subjectivity, what goes into overhead, and arbitrary relationships. How do I create a relationship between two independent things? And I can come up with any kind of relationships, right? I'm looking outside in my backyard and I see trees and I see a tire that the kids play with. So I can come up with a relationship between the number of trees, you know, the, so many trees per tire in my purview. But that doesn't mean if I add another tire, it's going to be that many more trees added to my backyard, right? And so these things that we look at and we, 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 we've got these metrics and I'm, I'm trying to say, well, you know, don't look at that as being precise information. They're not measurable, what it is, is you're calculating these things. And because you're calculating them, and because they've got these relationships that don't make sense, and the subjectivity that goes into the scope, they really don't mean anything. I mean, you've got to do it for reporting purposes, right? The law says I have to be able to report you know, my, my profitability for tax purposes, and you've got to do that, got it. But what happens is when we try to take those techniques and use them to manage our business, and we say, well, we've got so many trees per tire, so if I reduce that to a half a tire, the trees will go away. No, they won't, because those are two independent things. But that's how we measure, you know, abstractly, that's how we make decisions in our organizations. And that's how I believe people get in a lot of trouble by focusing on the accounting domain and making decisions versus focusing on the operations and cash flow domain, where in this particular case, the operations and cash flow domain will say, I've got these trees. If I want to be able to see the city, I can cut down these trees, and that has nothing to do with the number of tires there. I just make this decision based on what it is I see, and then I can then move move forward with the organization. Does that make sense? It does. I'm, I mean, your distinction between cash costs and non-cash costs, I think, is brilliant, and it's a it's a much better distinction between, say, fixed and variable costs that cost accountants use. Uh, and I just I just absolutely love that because you're right. So many costs are really non-cash. And totally dependent upon the choice you make and the, the relationships you you make, you know. You talked with Ed about strategic cost transformation, and and in the book, it's it, you say it shifts the focus of cost analysis from accounting base to a corporate wide system that models and aligns cash operations and accounting. So then you go on to describe business domain management as as the operations and cash domain, and and the accounting domain. And, and what I love, Reginald, is you say there's no new information in the accounting domain. <laughs> All of the information in the accounting domain comes from the operations and cash domain. But because of all of these limitations with the accounting domain, we're probably better off without it. You know, it, it could, because it can lead to these poor decisions like buying too much capacity, misstating an ROI of a Lean Six Sigma program or a software investment or whatever. And I just, you know, it's the difference between looking at your business with one eye versus two eyes, right? You get more depth when you yeah. take into account the operations and cash domain. 
Absolutely. And you and I have talked before about multiple dimension analysis, right? And to me, when, it, when you're looking at things from an accounting perspective, you're looking at it, you know, the way I describe it is you know, you're looking at a table and you live in that table and it's two-dimensional, front, back, left, right. And a, a sphere comes down onto the table and intersects the table. In your world, you see a circle, right? So right. if that's accounting, accounting numbers say, I see a circle, and then your boss comes and says, hey, Ron, change the diameter of that circle. And you're saying, well, I, I, I don't really know what to do because I don't even know how it got here. I just have this number, this diameter, and you're asking me to change it. So I can try to make it look differently. I can try to change things, but really that's a reflection of what's going on in a third dimension. And unless I can see a third dimension where I have that sphere, and I understand that's a sphere that came into my, my world, then I can start managing what's really going on. I can move the sphere up and down and change the diameter of the circle, right? And so the operations and cash flow domain offers that different, different dimension that gives you a clear picture of where the numbers are coming from. So instead of coming to you and say, hey, Ron, change the diameter of the circle, we can now have a dialogue and say, well, what, what needs to happen is we need to move this sphere up and down. And if we do that, we can get the results that we're looking for. Again, that's means versus results that, that Johnson talks about, right? right and we understand right. things like if I move this sphere from one place to another, it's not going to change the size of the circle. So although I could say, well, yeah, if I move it over here, it's going to look different. The bottom line is we know that until we move the sphere up and down in this other dimension, nothing's going to change. And so what business domain management allows us to do is have a complete picture of the organization and the levers that we can pull to have the results on the back end. Because like you said, everything that I do, from what I spend to how many people I have to how much space I have, what we created, how efficiently, effectively, and productively we did, all that stuff exists before a single cost is calculated. It's yes. only when, like you said earlier, someone said, what did that cost? that the hell breaks loose and I've got to create the relationships and I've got to use this bad math. And then all of a sudden I have this stuff on the back end. And so, like you said, we don't really lose anything from a risk perspective. If we go up ahead of the accounting data, right? If we can move ahead of that and focus on the means, focus on the process and focus on the capacity and the cash that will lead us to the results that we're looking for on the back end. And, you know, when I present that to accountants, they get that. I mean, they know that books can be cooked and depending on the choice of inventory valuation, you can change profitability, you know, LIFO, FIFO and all that. But when you tell other people that, hey, we want you to give up the cost accounting domain, you know, like in a professional firm, get rid of timesheets, they freak out. And, and I use the analogy, Reginald, like the, this, pretend the three of us are in New York and we're lost. And Ed comes up, he says, well, wait a minute, I got a map. And you look at the map and you say, yeah, but Ed, this is a map of Los Angeles. And I look at the both of you and go, yeah, but it's better than nothing. Well, no, it's not better than nothing. I mean, if the data is wrong and, and it's not complete and it's giving you false sense of precision and accuracy and control, then it can actually create harmful decisions. Like you said, with the Lean Six Sigma, the ROI, paying too much in tax. And, and I would say pricing, too, especially if you use cost plus. Oh. So. That's a great those that that distinction between cash and non cash costs is brilliant. Your four charges are, I just love that. And and um, folks, there's so much more in this this book that Reginald's got coming out. We're gonna highly recommend it, and we'll tout it. Uh, and when it comes back on Reginald, we'll bring you back out, and uh, we'll take a deeper dive into some of the content in this book. But it's just I found it absolutely Wonderful. profound, 
and and you know I'm a, a big student, big fan of your work, and it and I learn new things. So it was just amazing. But uh, folks, we're up against our next break, and like to remind you, check out thesoulofenterprise.com for our full show notes, and go out to iTunes and give us a review so we can keep getting great guests like Reginald. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. There is no blueprint for running the perfect firm. No way to know the challenges you'll face. But your journey does not have to be an odyssey. Experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected. Experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away. Experience Office Tools. To learn more, visit officetools.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Our guest today is Reginald Lee, and we're talking about his book, Lies, Damn Lies, Cost Accounting, but then also the forthcoming book, Strategic Cost Accounting, due out in about uh, five or six months, we think. So, But we'll be uh, talking about that on The Soul of Enterprise. Reginald, I wanted to ask you about your work in the field at the, the Cash Flow Innovation Lab. I mean, it seems to me that when, when you and Ron were talking, and it, 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 the phrase just popped into my mind, that uh, – Accounting and cost accounting is really a derivation of what I like to call a logical positivism. It's a, which is a philosophical term, which means because we have numbers, it must be scientific, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's it's just a, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a false a mistake that people just make by looking at it. Oh, because we have a number, it's therefore science, but it's not. But what's what about the work that you're doing at the Cash Flow Innovation Lab? How is this translated uh, into the into the field? So it's really interesting. Um, so I've got my, my consulting firm. The, the base firm is Business Dynamics and Research, and that's the consulting work that's done based on these concepts. And then the Cash Flow Innovation Lab is about building the models that helps companies basically implement these concepts, right? And so I think that there there are many aha moments when you're walking through some of these ideas 
and helping companies develop models to use these ideas. So the Cash Flow Innovation Lab is about developing the models and help, helping to train people on these ideas. And so um, it's, it's really quite interesting because I've had uh, CPAs. And, and to, to Ron's point earlier, the, the people that have the hardest time with this are operations folks. Um, because the idea is, you know, to, to me, operations folks, it's almost like these accounting numbers are a drug of choice, right? They know that they're getting high. They know it's bad for them, but they can't live without it. They need it. And so, therefore, you know, they're, they're locked into this, this whole scheme. And so with the, the Cash Flow Innovation Lab, the notion is let's go in and let's start un- helping you understand very fundamentally what's going on in your business. So the first thing we start looking at is cash. So what are you spending and what are you getting in? And you think that that's a really basic concept, but a lot of companies really don't have their arms around that. So when, they, when I ask them to give me that data, then they want to give me their accounting data. And I say, well, that's not going to give me what I'm looking for. I need to know what you're spending on and, you know, kind of some of the information in the uh, operations and cash flow domain, and they can't come up with it. And that's the, first, that's the first flag that people see is that we don't really know if we're making money or not. We know if we're profitable or not. But again, profit and making money are very, very different things. Profit is an accounting domain non, uh, concept. Cat making money is an operations and cash flow domain concept. So that's the first red flag. The second red flag are things such as what are we doing to put ourselves in a position to make more money? So in many cases, what I find is that when it comes to sales, marketing, and pricing, the constraints that are put on those processes are purely based on cost-related data, okay? So we have cost plus pricing, for instance, or I try to sell to generate uh, business for the extra stuff that I made or bought to reduce my cost. But what it doesn't take into account, you know, the the unit cost doesn't take into account the entire cash spent on the organization. The price doesn't reflect the value of what the customers are looking for. So that's the first disconnect there. The second thing is there's nothing that tells us we're selling enough to pay our bills. It tells us we're profitable, but not that we're paying our bills. So that's the second realization that companies come to. The third is the decisions that are being made with this data. And I've shared this in the book where I've had one customer, for example, who everything they sold was profitable, yet they were going out of business. And when they asked what was going on, I just said, well, number one, you're your, your spend, let's say, is a million dollars a month, and you're only generating 600000 in revenue. At 600000 in revenue, everything you're selling is profitable to you, but it's not making you any money. And so that's the first realization of, whoa, this situation is a lot worse than we, than we realized. The second is some of the more detailed assumptions that people are making. For instance, when I, when I talk about the, the company implementing lean, the notion that I have to focus on reducing this cost to make more money. Well, you can reduce that cost and make more profit, but when it comes to making money, if you don't have that other dimension of data that shows you you're not losing, you're not spending, excuse me, you're not making money, you're actually losing money because these decisions that you're making in the accounting domain are, you ca- are causing you to spend more money in the operations and cash flow domain. Those things are lost, and that the, this process creates, you know, kind of connects the dots. Or the example that I gave in the last show and I gave in the book is you know, a particular client that was focusing on their unit cost of um, purchased materials. And their thought was, well, I've got to get my lowest cost per unit of purchased material. 
And I said, you're, you're putting yourselves out of business. And they said, how? And I said, well, if you buy this other material, you're actually spending less money. And they said, well, the cost per unit's higher. And I said, yeah, but if you factor in demand, then the amount of money that you're making, let's say it's $50,000, if you're spending $10,000 to make the $50,000 and getting a dollar per unit from the 10000 or you're spending $8,000 to make the $50,000 worth $1.60 a unit, I'd rather spend the $8,000 to get the fifty. Even though, from an accounting perspective, the dollar sixty is higher than the dollar, so it really creates this picture of aha moments. This 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 fun, a foundation of we've been making really bad decisions by focusing on the accounting domain, and this creates the found, the foundation for people to start seeing the organizations a lot more effectively. You know, it strikes me as you were talking that the only thing more insane than than doing this, the 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 costing and going through this retrospectively, would be if you were trying to project your costs into the future, right? And mm-hmm. and again, so now so now you're making it. Not, the data doesn't even exist. You're assuming what the data is going to be in the future, and then trying to pre- predict it. And isn't that effectively what people do when they try to tr- try to do ROI analysis? Is they're actually trying to do this 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 craziness, but use numbers that don't even exist yet? Yeah, and so sometimes you can get around that, right? From a from a um, from a strategy perspective, when I used, I was a pure strategist for for a while um, for for a firm called uh, named Sapient, and we competed against companies like McKinsey and Bain. And in that case, you know, some of the tools that we would use is you have to come up with something in some cases to give people a feel. So instead of coming up with a number and saying, "Hey, Ed, I'm going to save you a million dollars." It's the savings are going to be between, let's say, 800 and a million two. And that way we can have the assumptions behind both of those. Where I think it gets really nasty is what those, how we actually calculate those savings, right? Because, you know, there's going to be some changes to the organization. You know, I'm going to have more, more free capacity, for instance. I can buy fewer uh, warehouses. There are going to be some savings that occur. But when I do things like you've got 10,000 people who work for you, and I'm going to th- save $1,000 of their time, so that's $10,000 a day. You know, extrapolate that out to a year. That's $365,000. And then I use that in the, in the ROI calculation. That's nasty <laughs> stuff right there. Because now I'm right. saying, I want you to spend $5 million on my software solution. And oh, by the way, as a result, I'm going to save you three sixty-five a year by making your people more efficient. Now that, unbelievable. You know, making up the numbers, it's, yeah, it's not cash. That's the really nasty ROI stuff because you're thinking, God save you for making that investment. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. For that ROI well, and the, the CEO saying, well, you know, no, it's not there. Oh, go ahead. Unbe- unbelievably, we're up against the end of our show. I can't <laughs> believe this just completely flew by. But, uh, Ron, um, what are we going to talk- be talking about next week? We have Jeffrey Tucker on the line next week, Ed. I'm so excited to be able to talk to him. All right, a huge shift in gears from Reginald Lee to Jeffrey Tucker, but we can do it. We can handle it. Well, I guess I'll see you in 167 hours. All right, Reginald, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You bet. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week, folks. We'll have Jeffrey Tucker on at 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, check out our show notes with our discussion with Reginald at thesoulofenterprise.com. And you can also contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. 
Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.